There's a lot to say about the deliciousness of steaks, burgers, and kebabs, and the wonders of a summer cookout. But we figure, why go through all the trouble when beef can speak for itself? Just listen. Translation, beef. It's what's for dinner. Funded by Beef Farmers and Ranchers. And welcome to Out of Left Field. I'm Bart Gregory along with Charlie Winfield. We're in the Farm Bureau Studios here in downtown Startwell, back in the lab again, as Eminem would say. Charlie, hey, last week was fun. Came in here on Wednesday last week, said, hey, we got a chance. And Friday, more we talked about the numbers, I said, hey, I think we got a chance. Halftime on Saturday, I said, we got no chance. And then all of a sudden on Sunday, man, we're like spiking a football. What about that week? Yeah, what was it you said, though? We're not spiking the football because that's too old school. Yeah, we're, we're spinning it. We're spinning it around, and, yeah, that was phenomenal. So many things had to go exactly right for Mississippi State to win that game, but you feel like something about this team, I don't know what it is. We don't seem to get out of games even when we're behind, but we also, for whatever reason, seem to fall behind. You know, it's, it's funny. I was talking to a longtime coach last night, and we were just talking about different things. And he said, hey, I don't want to overanalyze at all. And it's a guy I trust a lot. And I don't. he may be half right with this. He may be fully right with this. But he was talking about teams and how they take on the persona of their head coach. A few weeks ago, after the Memphis game, a lot of people were questioning about you know, Mike Leach and not being you know, animated on the sideline. Well, the guys, he seems bored over there. I think a lot goes into the way this team plays in the second and third quarter. And this is what he was saying last night about how I think in the second and third quarter, that's when that team takes on the identity of their head coach because he never seems frazzled. And our team never seems frazzled. Even when you get down, it's always like, okay, guys, we got one more possession. We get it going. And I kind of wonder, you know, when we start talking about coaches and volatility and smashing the, the dry race boards, and sometimes, hey, you got to peel the walls every now and then in sports. That's just the way it is. But it's interesting to see a team kind of play with an even keel, even when you're behind, because it's almost like Mike Leach, when he, if he's up 28-3 to or down 28-3, to he's got that same mantra. Am I wrong on saying that? No, it's almost like the baseball mentality applied to football, right? Maybe he got that from Ron Polk's playbook. Yeah. You can't get too high, can't get too low. But during the late second quarter, the sideline reporter indicated that basically Mike Leach was telling the team, quit worrying about the scoreboard, just do your job. Just play the next play. Because what we're doing will work if you just do it. And it was almost like they just tuned the scoreboard out and just kept doing their job. And then somewhere along the way, the defense just found it. I don't know if it's when they blocked the field goal. Something changed. And the offense just kind of kept being the offense. You know, I was talking about that with the same coach last night, and we were talking about the second half and the adjustments. And, you know, we talked about this on Sunday Coffee, Charlie, about the in-game adjustments, not only that we're making on the offense, but the in-game adjustments on the defensive side. You started getting more pressure. Without the blitz, you started containing the run at the line of scrimmage. Now, we contained the, line, the run at the line of scrimmage for the most part all day. We did a better job of it in the second half. 
And then what we did in the middle of the field and just kind of took away that crossing route, you know, 10, 15 yards down the field that was wide open in the first half. And so you have to give credit. If you're going to sit there and take you know, negative shots when we don't play well, in which there's a lot of dishing out in the first half, then you've got to sit there and say, hey, this team, if you're looking for a positive, can make some adjustments. And it looked like we made some adjustments in the second half. I thought we made a lot. i tell you one adjustment I bet Auburn makes – Onside kick in the future, just leave your kicker out of it. I hated to see that. Man, I hated to see – that's just what happens. And I hated to see that about Bo Nix. Yes. And, hey, let me tell you this, man. Just because they're a warrior wearing a different color jersey, you've got to respect the heck out of that guy. He plays it hard. He plays the game the quote-unquote right way. I mean, he's not afraid to – to stick his head up in there. And, uh, hey, our our thoughts are with that family right now. Patrick Nix, of course, was quarterback at Auburn. His son, Bo Nix, and well wishes to Bo as he gets ready uh, for the future as well. So, Charlie and I, on this show today, when we come back, Charlie had a chance to sit down and talk to the commissioner of the SEC, Greg Sankey. Then later in the show, we'll talk to Daniel Hayes of Mossy Oak and talk about the outdoor world and what Mossy Oak is doing in the world of hunting. And then the... We'll kind of close it out, talk about a little bit of volleyball. We'll talk a little bit about football, and we'll get you ready for a big weekend this weekend. Non-conference matchup Saturday morning, 11 o'clock, Mississippi State and Tennessee State. So a big show for you here in the midweek. You're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Yeah, welcome back to Out of Left Field. Bart Gregory along with Charlie Winfield, and we're in the Farm Bureau Studios here in downtown Starkville. Charlie, up next, you had a chance to sit down and talk to the commissioner of the Southeastern Conference, Greg Sankey. The only time he could schedule to do it, I was sitting in the middle of a 14-year-old junior high basketball game, and so I knew that if I joined you, that I would hear the wrath later on. And so I'm glad you had a chance to sit down and talk to, to Greg Sankey. Well, Greg Sankey is arguably the most powerful guy in sports right now. No doubt. I mean, you start making the list, you think, commissioner of the NFL and commissioner of the Southeastern Conference at least is in the top five. And I'll tell you, I go back to a year ago, the SEC showed that it has good leadership. We can complain when we want to, but it is really tough to say that any conference did a better job of getting through 2020 than the Southeastern Conference, and I think there was a lot of kind of grown-up leadership in the room. No doubt. And this conversation brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage. Country Pleasing made right here in the state of Mississippi down in Florence at Country Meat Packers. They're all over the southeast right now. They're a growing brand, and they've got a lot of different lines within that that sausage that they produce right now. And go by the storefront as well. Great place, great people, great service at Country Pleasing Sausage. So let's go to the phones. We've got the commissioner of the Southeastern Conference, Greg Sankey, joining us. And, Commissioner, thank you for taking the time to, to be with us today. Well, it's my pleasure. I uh, appreciate the opportunity to visit. I think back to last year, there were so many voices telling us that conferences couldn't make a go of it with COVID, but the SEC took a wait-and-see approach. And ultimately, I thought one of the great success stories uh, of the past few years, from a leadership perspective, how hard was that to kind of work against what may have been a vocal minority but was vocal nonetheless in the media, basically pushing against the idea of having a season? Yeah, in some ways it was really challenging. In fact, probably one of those most significant challenges I'll experience, although I'm, I'm certain there are more ahead. 
I, I was really, and in fact, remain grateful for our campus leadership, their willingness to engage in, in dialogue and thought about what we might be able to achieve. And, and I mean, all the way through from when we had to stop things in March of 2020 until you know, kickoff in late September and all the adjustments required. So uh, on the one hand, it was challenging. On, on the other hand, I was aided in meeting that challenge by a lot of outstanding people on our campuses, our presidents, chancellors, athletics directors, coaches, the student athletes who participate on our leadership councils provided great feedback and our medical advisory task force all contributed to making it possible to play last year. You mentioned the assistance from campus. One of the things that I've admired about the conference, you take these teams who are bitter rivals on the field But it seems like whenever a decision is made, whether it was COVID-related, whether it was expansion, which we can talk about in a minute, that everybody seems to come out in lockstep together. We don't hear that this school is upset with the league or these back fights. Uh, I think of Justice Roberts when he came to the Supreme Court. He said, I want less vociferous dissents. I want more unanimous opinions. Is that something that you've brought to the role? Have we just been lucky to have a group of schools that understands that? Kind of what's going into keeping that united front for the league? We provide a a little bit of a reminder, actually, which is a tribute to Doug Dickey. If you recall, Doug coached football, a couple different stops, finished his career as the athletics director at the University of Tennessee. And my predecessor, Mike Slive, had a moment back in 2002 where we had kind of a difference of opinion in a meeting. We had 12 teams then. It was a seven to five vote. And and Mike was concerned that it just, we wouldn't resolve the issue and to keep coming back up. That had been his prior experience. And Doug pulled him aside and said, commission this league seven, five is 12. Oh, when we walk out the door. And I, I actually remind people of that statement. I think that's a tribute to Doug. Uh, but it's, it's a hallmark of how we function that we have vigorous debate um, within our meetings, we had an 8-6 vote on intra-conference transfer policy back in June. Uh, a lot of discussion leading into that decision point, yet afterwards, people have um, been committed to working together and working forward in a new environment. And, um, that's, that's a tribute to our history, but it's also a tribute to the people involved now. 14 schools now. It won't be long before there's 16, Texas and Oklahoma coming into the league, and One of the big discussions that comes up is, all right, now what are we going to do about football schedules? I've heard talk of a pod approach. More recently, I've heard more talk of schools having a few permanent opponents and then rotating around after there. How will that be decided? Kind of what are the ideas that are out there currently? And when do you think that decision will be made? It is fundamentally a decision of our membership, which means it's a vote and the majority rules. We started from a, a framework, at least from my perspective, of, of I made two observations. One is I want us to engage in blue sky thinking about how we schedule our football games. And what I mean by that is let's look at the big picture. Let's put everything back on the table. Um, if, if people have ideas to contribute, let's bring those in. Let's not be bound solely by tradition or divisions or the way we've always done it. Uh, the second point is um, related but stands distinct from the first point, and that is we need to rotate our teams through our campuses with greater frequency. We shouldn't have situations, in my view, where teams don't visit another opponent's campus 
for 12 years. That's our current format. And that was a decision made back post-2012 expansion. So taking those two ideas, we've said everything else is up, up for consideration. That's pods, quads, divisions, no division, single entity, uh, one permanent opponent, three permanent opponents. Uh, the number of games played, eight, nine, ten, has even been discussed. We've narrowed from that um, that that long list of probably four or five dozen different approaches uh, to focus on a handful and bring back really samples of what would it look like. Uh, we're also interested in seeing what happens with the college football playoff format. I've been involved in those conversations um, as we've seen the debate develop and the consideration of models develop, how the national champion is determined does have an impact on our scheduling thoughts. And, and so as I look at the time frame for decision-making, knowing you want to look at the big picture and refine it, as we get into 22, you move through the spring, kind of outer boundary would be our spring meetings for a final decision. Um, and if we can work to a conclusion sooner than that, I think that would be great to allow us to make future plans around particularly uh, non-conference scheduling adjustments that might be required. I asked you obviously the question about football, but I want to touch just briefly on basketball. It looks like this league has really made a commitment more to the sport of basketball over, say, the past 10 years. Everybody seems to be improving across the league. Where do you see men's basketball right now in the SEC as compared to the rest of the country? I think it may be as good as there is. Uh, and we're only now a week into the season, and but, but the, the early returns are pretty positive in my view. Taking a step back from kind of where we are and what I see now, uh, March 2016 was a bit of a low point for, for me as commissioner from a basketball standpoint, and I think for our teams, we only had three teams selected to participate in the NCAA tournament. One of those three teams was assigned to the, the first four games in Dayton and was bounced uh, before entering the, the field of uh, traditionally 64. Uh, and we had to change. And so we made some changes that spring. Uh, we had an outside advisor. We made a change there just because I thought we weren't talking about the right issues in men's basketball. Brought in Mike Trangisi, the former commissioner of the Big East Conference. Uh, Mike and I have been friends for 20 years. And I wanted to talk about not the RPI or the net score, not data and analytics. I wanted to talk about culture. And what's great is our campuses have brought into that bought into that facilities you've seen either developed or planned um, the coaches we have in this league are outstanding you think about you know ben howland um at mississippi state ben's been in the final four multiple times coach at ucla i saw ben coach his head coach at northern arizona when i was a new commissioner of the southland conference back in the mid-90s and obviously has a, a depth in the basketball game uh, but we have that depth across the league. And, and I think that's what helps make us better. We, we've changed uh, officiating coordinators now twice, trying to adapt to the modern expectations of officiating the college basketball game, which is a challenge. We're asking for instantaneous decisions. Uh, we're the, the league that's led in the use of instant replay, trying to do that responsibly. But we've invested to have more correct outcomes around basketball officiating. Uh, we've set expectations around non-conference scheduling uh, that have been important. Uh, I think what we did last year in the 
that our basketball challenge with the Big 12 was actually pretty remarkable to have won more games than we lost there. And we hope to continue that momentum. And, and I'm really hopeful as I look at recruiting, um, the opportunity to involve student-athletes in name, image, and likeness activity, um, and doing that in the proper way, I think, has great opportunities for our future. You mentioned officiating, and it looks like you can't get on Twitter after a game without seeing different views. And I think probably in basketball more so than any other, there are sometimes just rules misunderstandings that perhaps the fans don't know the rules. Sometimes, though, you look at it and you think in football, there's a valid complaint there. Obviously, officials are human, but I'm curious at the league office, what is the process for evaluating the quality of officiating, the procedure perhaps for reviewing individual calls, and then from a league standpoint, what all goes into just ensuring that there is high-quality officiating? Well, that's um, a, a very important question, and at this point in the year, it, it's timely. In fact, you could argue that uh, of any issue that dominates uh, one's reality, officiating intersects uh, a conference office or a commissioner's reality on, on a regular basis. We have to start from the framework and the understanding that officiating, no matter what the sport at this level, is incredibly challenging. We're asking humans to make instantaneous decisions based on what they observe. And there are realities associated with that uh, expectation. One, you may not be able to see fully what's happened. Two, that expectation for instantaneous decision-making. And three, I think the expectation is perfection. And an individual is being viewed in the public realm from one perspective or another. It's not a, a neutral evaluative point. And, and so we have to insert ourselves into the evaluation. Um, there's a weekly evaluation process, and we've in the past been very open about that. Uh, Video-driven, we allow input from our coaches. Our coaches and our programs ask questions about the validity of calls, where there are uh, correct calls. We state that and explain why and provide a bit of context and education. That doesn't mean everybody agrees with that assessment. Um, where there are errors, we own those privately, but we expect that those um, immediate issues uh, be communicated uh, privately between the conference office and our program. Um, you can see on Twitter, on social media, people have perspectives. We don't officiate by still photos. Those populate Twitter on a regular basis just because an instant shows something doesn't mean that's actually what took place in the play. Um, short video clips from one angle are not necessarily helpful, but there are inaccuracies in officiating. That's reality at any level. We want more correct outcomes, and, and that means we support our officiating programs through very sophisticated use of video uh, replay. It's limited by national rule. Uh, it in itself is not perfect. Uh, but it's a representation of the investment. From an evaluation standpoint, there are weekly evaluations, uh, just as there are with our teams. And so you'll see a quarterback throw an interception, and that quarterback comes back in for the next play, plays the next week. Uh, I guess over time, when enough errors are made, that player may not be in that position. Uh, much the same with officials, where we have errors. Those are assessed and communicated. They're used for educational purposes downgrades, if you will, in officiating or enough errors can remove one from postseason consideration. And if there's um, a, a continuing problem with performance, then assignments are removed or not provided at all, or someone might be removed from our program. 
But you have to understand when people comment on, well, we should have better officials. I've yet to see the the vine or the tree on which uh, outstanding officials are growing. And in fact, much the opposite is happening around us. Our culture is hard on authority figures. Um, and it, we're in a national conversation about the lack of officials at many levels. It hasn't filtered to, to our circumstance, but we don't have the level of development taking place right now. And the feeder programs are really, really important to us. And we, we have worked to develop relationships with conferences so we can build into those programs, but also have the benefit from, from trained officials over time. And it is, uh, it is a challenge. It's a conundrum. It is a responsibility that we take very seriously. Um, that doesn't mean we're going to achieve perfection, nor does it mean we're wrong as much as people think we're wrong. Uh, in fact, we're, we're, we're often right, but we're not perfect, yet we strive for that level of perfection that is too often elusive in our officiating work. Commissioner, before I let you go, we saw in as sports fans, we saw the concussion issue kind of coming down the tracks. We saw, to some degree, the Austin decision coming down the tracks and opening up name, image, likeness. Well, what's the next big challenge or the next big thing that's out there? Well, if I could narrow that to one issue, I would, uh, <laughs> I would, uh, I would, I would be benefiting my institution. There, there are some things uh, I think that are foreseeable. You know, one is generally not specific to our summer, but conference membership transition has taken place for decades. So the fact that it's occurring now is not new. For our purposes, we want to be excellent in our endeavors so that people are always interested in what's happening in the Southeastern Conference. You know, in the legal realm, we have uh, a couple of lawsuits under the House and Oliver versus the NCA label that relate a bit to name, image, and likeness, relate to... Uh, uh, potential revenue sharing being identified. Um, we have activity around the National Labor Relations Board, the Fair Standard Labor Act, um, and questions about student athletes being classified in some circumstances, potentially as employees that we're mindful of. The issue of transition in media and consumption of, of digital media um, is real for us, yet we know people still want to watch broadcast television. And so in Two more football seasons will be linked up with Disney, ABC, ESPN fully for a right that gives us flexibility around kickoff times. There will always be noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central kickoff times. We'll be able to provide much more notice on those issues, may be able to reduce a bit, uh, but let people know months in advance of the need to prepare accordingly. And I think uh, the sensitivity to interacting with our fans will remain a priority along with how we uh, provide on these platforms, be they broadcast, satellite, cable, or digital high-quality productions and access. We're in the midst of discussion about what does the NCA look like? Is it any, how, how are the rules going to be enforced? What rules will be in place to be enforced? What entities will be charged with making major decisions? Uh, that's an enormously important conversation. So you know, from that list, there's not a lot of free time. <laughs> um, in our world right now. We have an intersection of a lot of really important issues, which makes you wake up every day excited about the challenge ahead, um, maybe unclear about the uncertainty, but focused on trying to provide definition and context to college athletics in a great way because it does mean so much to so many people. 
Well, Commissioner, thank you. It sounds like you've got plenty to work on. Thank you for taking the time today uh, to visit with us and uh, share your thoughts. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. I appreciate the invitation, invitation and the dialogue. The Commissioner of the Southeastern Conference, Greg Sankey. Hey, Charlie, good job, man. That sounded good. That sounded like a very – I would not have offered the professionalism, and I would have probably been a little bit more crazy and redneck with my question about the officiating. He'd asked something about Nanawoya. Yeah. You'd have tied it into a call back in, like, 85. <laughs> Absolutely. I'd have told him to walk down to Chuck Dunlap's office and uh, and talk about, you know, Nanawoya and Louisville and things <laughs> of that nature. Chuck over in the SEC. We won't put up this officiating in Winston County, brother. You've got that right. Hey, good conversation. And once again, that conversation brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage, made right here in Mississippi, down in Florence. Charlie and I will come back. We'll talk to Daniel Hayes of Mossy O. Talk about the brand that started in West Point, Mississippi, back in the 1980s. You're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. We're in the Farm Bureau studios here in downtown Startwell. Good conversation right there with Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the Southeastern Conference, was the associate commissioner for a long time, at one time the commissioner of the Southern Conference as well. And so doing an outstanding job. And, hey, I tell you what, I mean, it's it's crazy the pressures that go with being the commissioner of the SEC. And, Charlie, a few weeks ago we talked to John Stevens with R&T Calls, our good friend who makes the duck calls over Stuttgart, Arkansas, major league brand in the outdoor world. Then last week we talked to Ben Jenkins, who started the company Warstick, a big sporting goods giant now. And one of the guys that kind of ties it all together is the Hayes family and Mossy Oak here in Mississippi and the Mossy Oak brand of how wild and big that it's gotten and since the 1980s when Toxie Hayes came up with that. And so that's that's one of the things. We've gotten some really good feedback from talking to people in the outdoor world. Of course, hunting season with deer season in season right now. And, of course, with turkey season with so many different things, it's, it's kind of cool to see the relationships that Mississippi State has with all of those outdoor giants. And so this conversation with Daniel Hayes of Mossy Oak is brought to you by our friends at Tracks Plus. Tracks Plus, when you're in the woods, you need to clean out that spot for that dove field or you need to clean out that spot for, to, to turkey hunt in the spring or you're looking for that green patch for your, for your deer hunting and you need to get in there and do some mulching and cleaning up. You need to find somebody that has some of that Barco equipment that they can get in there and do the mulching. Or also, if you need an excavator just to kind of cut you a trail through the woods, get you some of that saney excavators and some of that saney construction equipment. And so this conversation with Daniel Hayes of Mossy Oak brought to you by our friends at Trax Plus. Four locations. Here's the people you got to talk to. Daniel Bounds and Fred Fulton in Columbus, Ken Crosby in Hickory, Gresh Howell down in Summit, Mississippi, and Hoop Weems in Alexandria, Louisiana. And so let's go to the phones with our good friends over at Mossy Oak and West Point. Daniel Hayes joins us, Director of Marketing. Daniel, part of the Hayes family. Daniel, hey, appreciate you joining us. Uh, we've been texting back and forth. You've been a big baseball guy for a long time. And I tell you what, it's, it's one of the things that, that Charlie and I talk about, and we've talked about over the past couple of weeks with guys kind of talking about outdoor stuff and 
things away from the game. We talked about Ben Jenkins last week and Warstick, and you guys actually partnered with Warstick on a project in the last couple of years. And we talked to, to John Stevens over in Stuttgart, Arkansas, about duck hunting. And there are so many people with Mississippi State ties that have ties to the outdoor world. And we could think of no better partnership than what Mississippi State and Mossy Oak have been in the past few years or for a long time since the start of Mossy Oak. And so just looking back, it's it's an amazing story about your dad, Toxie Hayes, starting this company. Just take us back to the beginnings of this company and kind of how it got started over in West Point. Yeah, Bart, Charlie, I'm from a whole life in West Point, and uh, our family's got deep ties here in town and, and pretty much every family member uh, went to Mississippi State and my granddad is from South Alabama. He was born in Mobile and grew up there and he kind of, uh, you know, if he never made his way over to Mississippi State then, then Mossy Oak never would have would have gotten around to getting started because my grandmother and my, my granddad never would have met but my granddad kind of had that classic bitter rivalry story when he was growing up. He wanted to go to an, an ag school in uh, Auburn if you're in Alabama would be a logical choice there but that side of the family was big time Alabama and Tuscaloosa ties. So I think a lot of families back in the day, especially had that same conversation, but my great granddad told him he's more than welcome to go to Auburn, but he's not getting any financial assistance. So he, uh, his next best choice after Auburn was, was coming over to Starville. And, you know, he came over here and another thing a lot of people don't know, so Papa, you know, he's been, a lot of people follow his turkey hunting stories in the spring. And uh, he's killed a turkey 74 seasons in a row that he's hunted. And he's, he's 91, and he started hunting in 1944. So the few years that are a gap in there, uh, right around the time that he graduated high school, he had tuberculosis. And he spent years in the hospital. You know, everything happened for a reason. He was lucky to, to survive all that. But, you know, if everything didn't work out the way it did, then he would have never met my grandmother. And, you know, our, our office is 15 minutes from campus. So we've been here in West Point my whole life, and my mom and sister and brother and uh, dad, everybody on this side of the family has all been Mississippi State people for a real long time. Daniel, when you go out and you market, how much do you call upon like other Mississippi State guys? How much does that connection mean to you kind of in the world that you're dealing in? Uh, you know, I, I believe Maroon big time. And we, you know, we work with people all over the country from, you know, West Coast companies like Filson and uh, Carhartt up in the Midwest and retailers from from coast to coast and all that so we we deal with people that are the kind of outsider crowd that gets mississippi state and a little confused sometimes and whenever i get to meet somebody that is from the south and is a, is a bulldog i get pretty fired up about it because uh, as everybody knows we're kind of the the small town college more so than we've got a little more family atmosphere than i'd say any other school in the sec so compared to people that are alumni of other schools when you meet somebody that went to mississippi state there's a pretty dang good chance that You've got mutual friends or you got some family friends that know each other. But, yeah, I love any time we get to do business with, with other uh, Bulldogs. Talking to Daniel Hayes with Mossy Oak. And, Daniel, you know, we, we start talking about bucket list things. And you guys with, with Mossy Oak in the production world, you know, 20 years ago really set the tone when you start thinking about hunting videos and traveling the country and doing a lot of cool things. If Charlie and I wanted to go on a hunt somewhere, and I'm not, hey, I'm not, we're not back begging to go on a hunt or anything. I'm just saying if looking at all the cool things that you guys have been able to do, what's the coolest thing? that you guys have been a part of? Has it been a dove hunt? Has it been a turkey hunt? Has it been a deer hunt? Or, you know, what's, what's kind of the cool things that you guys at Mossy Oak have done in the past? Uh, I've, you know, I'm, I'm 31, so I haven't, uh, I've got a lot of things that are left on my bucket list, but it would be 
Uh, it'd be pretty tough to beat uh, an elk hunt in the middle of the rut with your bow. Our family is very much obsessed with turkey hunting, and a lot of people that turkey hunt and then uh, get to go elk hunting will compare. The, that seems like an unlikely comparison if you've never actually hunted them, but the way that you hunt elk and turkeys is pretty similar. Uh, and the you know the elk bugle and the turkey gobble being two of the coolest sounds in, in all the woods. Uh, there's a lot of comparisons between the two, but for people that are really really big turkey hunters, the first time you hear an elk bugle up close, it is just one of the coolest sounds in the world. And the the territories that you get to hike around in trying to chase them, is, I mean, it's, I've got other things I want to do that hopefully I'll get to start knocking off animals I've never hunted before in the next few years. But I don't I don't think I'll ever do anything that outside of what we get to do here at home that gets my blood pumping more than elk hunting. It's pretty cool. You know, I'm not a hunter, but, you know, when I first was growing up, you know, you'd see there's just kind of a standard camouflage, looked like a kind of a military style, and it seemed to work for everybody. Then you guys come along with something different, and it just really just caught fire and spread around. How did you guys come up with that, and what was it that kind of distinguished you from other people that made your brand take off? Um, One of the cool things about how we started, and, you know, Dad started in 1986 and I was born in 1990 so uh he was a, a few years before me and yeah, he was he had the idea several years before and you know he's 24 25 when he was actually going through the stages of uh creating the company and then he was 26 when Mafia was actually incorporated and when I was a kid that sounded pretty old at the time and now that I've surpassed the age of 26 uh I get I've got more and more respect for all my other buddies that are in their mid-20s thinking about starting a new company like that at, at that age but the origin story is, it makes me so proud because uh, a lot of people, they graduate from college and they're just trying to pinpoint an idea that they think because of the operations and the business and the opportunity in the market, they can create a product that they can turn a profit on and, and call it work. And dad, like I said, him and Papa are both so obsessed with turkeys that the creation of Montiog really started out of necessity because like you said at the time, the hunting camo that people were wearing primarily was just military garments a lot of surplus clothing and really generic looking stuff. And in the area that, that Papa grew up taking dad hunting down in South Alabama at uh, this old hunting club called Choctaw Bluff, the camouflage wasn't, didn't really make you that confident that you could chase a turkey around the woods and, and hide from them against any tree that you put your back against. So they'd kind of build these elaborate blinds and be confined to one specific tree. And, and as anybody who hunts turkeys know, the likelihood of just picking one tree and calling it a morning and sitting down and, and calling one up is not real high. So, Dad just got so frustrated, and it just seemed so obvious to him at the time that if he created some clothing that uh, that looked like the trees that he was sitting up against, then you know that would help him and a lot of other uh, turkey hunters hide better. And so it started out of necessity, and he literally got a handful of dirt, sticks, and leaves and filled up a Ziploc baggie and went about the process of trying to create. You know, Bottomland was the the first pattern that that the company started with. So he got. At the time, he couldn't afford. He was trying to find a textile mill that could print fabric for him, and he he created the design for Bottomland. And he matched up the Pantone colors to the natural elements that that he was hunting in, and he was trying to find a textile mill that he could get some fabric printed in. And the place that he found, kind of along the Florida Georgia border, he could afford like ten percent of what their typical minimum would have been for a fabric run. And he talked to Lady Deer off on the phone, telling her his idea for Mossy Oak, and he was creating this camouflage for hunters and all this kind of stuff. And she was so tickled by the idea that she got her boss on the phone and they decided they were going to cut the minimums and do it anyway because they thought this was pretty cool. So, yeah, that's kind of how everything first started. And 
if you've seen lately, bottom land has had a huge resurgence. And whether it's turkey hunting, deer hunting, you know, you'll have John Stevens on here up in Arkansas. Bottom land is very much a kind of a badge and uniform of the people that hunt flooded timber, ducks, Arkansas, Mississippi, and wherever around our, our neck of the woods. So even to this day when there's hundreds of different camouflage patterns made by all sorts of companies and retailers and whatever, uh, bottom land just, it makes me proud of that because it's still the test of time and it's just so versatile and continues to be so. When y'all have Ben Jenkins on here with War Sticks, another testament of Dad's original design for Bottomland is, you know, Ben was talking about the functionality of him being able to make something look good, but one that created a glove or a bat or whatever that he and Kinsler or the ballplayers would be proud to actually use. And from a design standpoint, that's the cool thing about our the bat that we created with Ben and the War Stick guys is that obviously you can see Bottomland on the backs of, of hunters all over the country. And so you know it's got 35 years of proof that people are proud to wear it in the woods and it works. But uh, from a design standpoint, that dad created something when he was 25 years old that Ben Jenkins, who I don't know how much y'all talked to him, but he's got as meticulous design standards for creative stuff as anybody I've ever worked with. And for Ben to want to put that on a baseball bat uh, and think it looks just as cool there as it does in its natural environment in the woods is a pretty good testament to what dad created from a, an artistic standpoint. And no doubt there. And hey, I've got one of those bats that's sitting in my office at my house right now i think it's one of the coolest things ever that mossy oak bottom land on a war stick bat it's just the coolest thing ever hey to talk to daniel hayes mossy oak daniel before we let you go you know one of the great things about your hunting group and people that hunt and people that are outdoors is the preservation and when you start looking at what you guys do whether it be the feed whether it be helping to grow forest with trees and just so many different things with the preservation of the hunting experience, whether it be just the animals or the environment, it's amazing to see everything going on outside for the environment and the hunting world that you guys are doing behind the scenes that really nobody knows about. Yeah. And that's another thing I'm very proud of that dad has kind of instilled in, you know, it's just like the necessity of creating bottomland because he needed to hide better of a lot of what dad has done with multi oak that now I get to be a part of is created just, because it's something that was instilled in him from Papa, and that's part of our family's bloodline. But yeah, Dad, in the very early on after Malty Oak started, Dad had the epiphany that you know without the uh, the critters, then we wouldn't have any reason to be here, and without the land, the critters wouldn't have any place to exist. And so he he realized at a pretty young age, younger than most, the you know symbiotic relationship between man and earth and critters, and making sure that everything coexists, especially in in modern day where you know urbanization and and all these factors are. Uh, causing us to lose more and more natural forests. Dad put a really big focus on uh, making sure that we're always leaving things better than we found it. We're taking care of the critters and we're taking care of the land. And that's something that, that Pop Ball is really passionate about. Dad's really passionate about. And uh, all of us at, at Multi Oak are. And, you know, we kind of call that that mentality uh, being a gamekeeper. And gamekeepers is kind of the part of Multi Oak that represents all those things that you mentioned. You know, we've got a tree nursery. Uh, in between Old West Point Road, in between West Point and Starville, that that was my me, me and my twin brother Neil. That was our first summer job, and we were in summer in between eighth grade and ninth grade, pulling weeds and and picking acorns and planting them in little soil cups and all that good stuff. And uh, then we've got biologic planting food plot seed and wildflower seeds and uh, all sorts of stuff, nutrition for wildlife. That kind of biologic uh, food plot seed and the forage and and the tree nursery both go hand in hand as things you can do through multi oak to leave the land better than you found it uh, and then the game you know multi properties too that's another thing that's that's been a huge uh part of our company going on 20 years now you can 
plant trees, you can plant food plots, you can leave everything better than you found it that way, and you can even buy recreational and, and timberland through multiple properties. And that, uh, we've opened up offices in almost 30 states uh, now with just people that are that are really passionate about the multiple brand that want to kind of use that as their stamp of approval when they're trying to sell pieces of land, whether it's land or, or timberland, whatever it is. The main point of all of this is Pawpaw's mentality of leaving things better than you found it and uh, passing it on, and, and that's been instilled in Dad through Pawpaw, and I hope that those same values are uh, something that me and my brother can, can carry on for a long time through the next few generations of Mafia Oaks. Daniel, appreciate you joining us. Hey, let me tell you this. Charlie had never driven any kind of construction equipment before like a month ago, and so now the second quest has become we're going to get Charlie in a deer stand somewhere or we're going to get him in a duck blind, or we're going to get him in a in a turkey blind somewhere. In the next few months, Charlie Winfield will go on a hunt with us. Well, you weren't feeling safe with me driving equipment and you being around. You feel safe being around me carrying a rifle. Uh, we're gonna say we're gonna say a bow. <laughs> okay. we're, we're gonna have we're gonna have a bow and arrow for you. <laughs> not right, a, not a crossbow. Nothing, nothing you can hit with a switch. Okay. So hey, man. hey Charlie, we'll start with the fundamentals of uh, of gun safety, just like we do when we're taking our uh, <laughs> out. So, but I will say, whether you get something or not, Bart, you you've done plenty of good eating, I'm sure, over the years. But Charlie, we've got to get you out to the camp. We'd love for you to come hunt out there. But either way, we've got a freezer full of deer, duck, elk, turkey, and I can guarantee we can have a have a feast that'll that'll make you want to go get something for yourself. That's what I'm talking about. I'm all that to me is the best part of hunting is the eating part. And you can look at me and tell I like to eat. You had him at food. Had him at food. Daniel, great to talk with you as always. It's amazing to see how that company started and how it continues to grow and that great uh, camaraderie that it has in West Point and Startwell between Mossy Oak and Mississippi State. Appreciate you guys what you do. Yep. Hope I get to see you all soon in person over here in West Point. And that's Daniel Hayes with Mossy Oak. Charlie, hey, you go back to what he just said a moment ago about you know his dad, Toxie, starting that. And just how crazy, you know, he, he took it to a textile place and trying to get that pattern and that bottomland pattern has kind of stood the test of time. And, man, what a great family, a great company here locally in West Point, Mississippi. We talk about, you know, R&T calls a couple of weeks ago. We talked about Warstick last week. But Mossy Oak, just a huge brand in the outdoor world. No, it certainly is. And, hey, I talked my way onto a skid steer. Maybe I'll – Taught my way into a hunting blind before long. Seemed to me like we're going to get to go hunting, Charlie. And I will video, I will make a YouTube video of us hunting, and it will be simply outstanding. Maybe I'll get one for the wall. A doe for the wall. That's what it'll be. No, 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 no. Hey, Charlie and I'll come back. We'll have a final word right after this. And once again, that conversation brought to you by our friends at Trax Plus. Back with a final word. You're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Final segment here in the Farm Bureau studios. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. Check them out at favorites.com. They have agents in every county in the state of Mississippi. And so go with the home team at Farm Bureau. They have a great office here in Startwell, great people that work here 
in the office in the Golden Triangle. And also, Charlie, what's going on in the Golden Triangle in the next couple of weeks is the Holiday Bazaar. And there are people that come from near and far and wide to come to the Holiday Bazaar. And this is brought to you by Starkville, Mississippi's College Town. We had Bulldog Bash a couple of weeks ago. Getting ready for Christmas. They got the Christmas lights up downtown right now. Kind of a holiday festive mood already. It's not Thanksgiving yet. Are you the guy that, that wants to see Thanksgiving go before you see? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I believe Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, in that order. Thanksgiving's kind of become the forgotten holiday. Are you a turkey guy? I am not a turkey guy. I am guy. not a turkey guy either. I'm, it's too dry for me. I love to hunt turkey. I love a deep-fried turkey, but I'm not a turkey-out-of-the-oven guy. I mean, I'm not, like, anti. I just have a belief that big events require good meals. Turkey's like a midweek meal to me. You know, you got midweek pitchers. It's a midweek meal. Well, it's a Thursday. Thanksgiving's in a midweek. Yeah, but you know what? It's a virtual Friday. I want my Friday starter on Thanksgiving. So what's your sub for turkey? Is it ham? Is it roast beef? <laughs> Is it the pork tenderloin? No, 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 no. I, I think we well, got to start thinking like beef tenderloin here. Although with all the meatflation going on. How about that? All yeah. of a sudden, you know, maybe spam at the Winfield home. But I'm an anti-cranberry sauce guy. I don't like cranberry sauce. Cranberries from the can are better than homemade. I can go with that, but neither are good to me. Sorry. So Mississippi's College Town, all kind of things going on. Hey, the spring will be kicked off in no time at all. And you'll have baseball going on, and you'll have all kind of things going on here in downtown Startwell. And so, of course, the next big event, the Holiday Bazaar, first weekend in December. So make your plans to come to Startwell for that big Holiday Bazaar. All right, Charlie, listen, I have an axe to grind before we go. I have my stone sharpener ready to throw some sparks with my axe. Oh, I bet I know where this is going. And you I were t- kind of fired up about this yesterday. Yes, I was yesterday, and it really created a firestorm about how this volleyball team, 27 RPI right now, okay, 27 RPI, they've won 10 matches in a row. They just beat a ranked opponent back-to-back on a weekend, and they're still not in the top 25. That and you, Sunday match was really oh, it went down entertaining, the, wasn't oh, it? Oh, Sunday was crazy. That was as dramatic of a win as you could possibly have when we beat Tennessee twice. But you start looking around at the volleyball poll. There are 64 coaches that vote in the volleyball poll, all right? couple guys that used to be here, Joseph Foreman, who is the head coach at Coastal Carolina, did not have Mississippi State in his top 25 this week. David McFatridge, who preceded Julie Darty Dennis, is the head coach at Georgia Southern. He did not have Mississippi State in his top 25. Now, I will say Mendoza over at South Carolina had his rank night number 17. Eve Rackham Watt, who is the head coach at Tennessee, who we just played, has her has us in her top 25. Now, she has us 23 her and tw- her team 24. But here's the thing, Charlie. Here, there would be an outcry in college football if they saw how volleyball coaches yeah, this fill out in, their poll. This deep into the season to be standing alone at number two in the league, imagine if other coaches didn't have you in the top 25. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it's that would be uh, – That'd be pretty tough. Hey, we'll be back on Friday. Looking forward to our Friday deep dig. Hey, Bo- if you're around, by the way, it's worth going to volleyball. Absolutely. It's, the, it the doesn't Friday, take a terribly long time. It's entertaining. It's, it's climate controlled. It's 72 it's degrees paced. when you walk in there. I mean, that to me, an indoor sport is outstanding. 
And they play Auburn the Friday after Thanksgiving. That's the only home match they have left. And so, yeah, it is worth a drive to watch this team play. They play two at Arkansas this weekend and then finish up against Auburn. Hey, good show today. Enjoyed it as always. Good friend uh, Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC, joining us. And then Daniel Hayes with another good friend at Mossy Oak talking about the Mossy Oak product. Charlie, hey, enjoyed it as always. We'll be back on Friday with our Friday Deep Dig. Once again, we're brought to you by our friends at Farm Bureau, Tracks Plus, Country Pleasing Sausage, Starkville, Mississippi's College Town, and Beef, it's what's for dinner, the Mississippi Beef Council, Mississippi Cattle Farmers, and their checkoff. Appreciate you guys hanging out with us right here on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau.